new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast for uscfootball.com. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and I am joined by five-star senior uscfootball.com analyst Gerard Martinez, who, for the sake of this bit, is my one-star co-host, the podcast where we're talking about four- and five-star recruits hosted by a couple of one-stars. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. Gerard, I pitched you this idea about doing a pod together like two months ago, you seemed a little bit hesitant at first, but it, but then you came around, you got a little bit excited about it, and I'm glad we're finally here making it happen uh, for the USC fans, for the people. Yeah, I'm good that, that you clarified the whole star thing. So I was hesitant because your math was already in the beginning. I'm going, wait a second, if I'm a five-star, then this has to be the six-star composite podcast. But you backtracked and you let them know that I am a one-star after all. And that's why it's the two-star composite recruiting podcast. That that there's a lot there. I kind of was like, hey, just keep it to the recruiting composite podcast, composite recruiting podcast. It's a long intro and it's a long title when you say two stars, but it's kind of a little bit of a meme uh, because we know no one wants to be a two-star. If you're a two-star in the database, you literally get emails from parents and recruits saying, just take me out of the database altogether. It's very rare to be a two star. It's even more rare to to see a two star out in the wild in the in the database <laughs> than it is to see a five star. There's 32 five stars. I've only found like maybe 10 two stars across my whole my whole time at 247. So if you think about it, being a two star is even more rare than being a five star. So, you know, trying it to put a good rare. spin on you it. Have to stump, you have to stumble upon a kicking camp or a long snapper <laughs> camp and then they exist and they are in bunches, but uh, out in the wild where there's actually like a seven on camp or a opening or something of that nature. Yeah. Usually most of those kids are at very least three-star prospects, but you know, we always tell people and specifically we tell the parents of the recruits who are usually most affected by these rankings and the controversy that's stirred up from them. You're getting three stars out of the elite bunch of recruits that are in that recruiting cycle. This is not, out of all the kids that are playing high school football that year, you know, there's so many kids that are not even in that database. So that's where you have to kind of look at it with the perspective of, okay, this is, you know, stars among the elite. You're literally looking at some of the best high school football players. And then the rankings come from that group and then they're getting stars. So it's, um, it's always interesting. You know, I don't have any direct um, voting privileges when it comes to stars and rankings. So I always defer to our friend Gregory Biggins or Brandon Huffman 
and I let them take those phone calls from angry parents. But I guarantee you're still going to get some DMs and emails, even if someone listens to this podcast. I guarantee it. You're still going to get it. Some people just didn't sure. hear the white noise. They didn't listen to anything you just said. They just heard stars, Gerard Martinez. <laughs> sure. They're going to hit you up. It, it's still a subject that comes up for sure. Definitely. But this is a recruiting podcast. I figured we should start a more consistent one since USC looking like they're going to be a much greater recruiting force under Lincoln Riley and this new staff. So this is a new podcast. We're going to be working out some segments. There will be segments, um, not the same every week. I wanted to keep a little loose, looser for you, Gerard, because I know you like to talk and I'm going to try to rein you in a little bit. But we're going to have some questions. We're going to do some non-USC stuff at the end of the podcast. But right now, I just wanted to get into the cold open, which is just right off the top. We just dive into a subject that's going on in USC recruiting. It could be a big commitment. It could be a big decommitment. It could be something that's going on in the national recruiting scene, uh, a topic like that. It could be a bunch of offers that went out. Uh, this week is pretty easy. We had a busy recruiting week just with uh, the Battle of the Beach up in Thousand Oaks. And then obviously USC had their own another uh, big visit day, a big junior day on Saturday. Some guys came in on Friday. So I, I think that's what we're going to lead with with the cold open. We just kind of get want to talk about the takeaways because we talked to a lot of players this weekend. Um, and you can look on uscfootball.com. We will have interviews with, I want to say, maybe close to 20 people. I feel like I got nine interviews myself uh, between Shotgun, Gerard, and then our new uh, support staff, uh, Jared Perez. He got some as well. So we have a whole bunch of interviews that are coming up, plus videos and all that stuff. So, Gerard, we talked to a lot of people. What were your takeaways? Uh, the takeaways were USC is using every opportunity to jump ahead and get kids on campus and to get the new coaching staff in front of them. Uh, they were at it March 1st. Uh, they brought in Peyton Woodyard, who's uh, one of the top safeties in the 2024 class, and they had kids on campus all week. And it went up until Friday and Saturday uh, where they had uh, some of the top players in the nation. And it wasn't just the local players, which they're introducing themselves to, because the local players also don't know this coaching staff, but there were a lot of kids nationally. And we are going to see this throughout the month of March, where you have a ton of guys, five-star guys, high four-star guys from out of state that are coming in to unofficially visit USC. So this was really the first weekend. It was a second junior day that they've had. Mm -hmm. and this is another sort of evolution of sorts where – USC kind of got away from the quote-unquote junior days uh, the past few years, and they had smaller little get-togethers where they just bring kids to campus and maybe you'd get 10, 12 kids on campus. They've had, like, legitimate junior days with, you know, 50-odd to 100-odd kids. The first junior day was, you know, probably just more than 100 kids. This past weekend was maybe a little smaller, but they had to spread it out between Friday and a Saturday because Friday – a lot of those kids were in town, uh, kids from uh, Washington who were playing for the FSP uh, team and kids from Hawaii and Utah who were also playing for teams that were playing in the Battle at the Beach tournament in Oaks. So they came in Friday and they were able to get on campus. And then you had the actual junior day, which was Saturday, and you had a bunch of kids that were also on campus. So I think just, you, you know, like just at face value, the first takeaway is, okay, this staff is getting in front of way more kids than the previous staffs had. And they are more aggressive and far more organized, I think, with who they're getting on campus, who they're getting in front of, and trying to sort out, I think, their recording board a bit. You know, like where mm -hmm. can they 
get in and where can they maybe secure some, you know, early commitments. That's still, I think, a strategy and a question that's going to come up over the summer. You know, how many guys do we really want to have committed before the season? And then what can we do with the season to secure those commitments throughout the season going into early signing day? And then who can we close? Because, you know, obviously you can get those early commitments. Mikhail Williams was a great example, a five-star guy that committed over the summer, and that was a big get for USC. But it really means nothing if the team doesn't play to expectations during the season. That's always going to be something that if you don't have momentum on the field, getting closer to December, it's going to hurt you in the recruiting process. And sometimes it hurts you more because there's sort of a, like a domino effect. It feels like, oh, they lost a couple games. Then you get a big decommitment. Then the rest of the class kind of starts to unsettle and guys start to look around like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not necessarily feeling good. Whereas if you don't take those guys that might be on the fence early on, you keep that class committed despite the losses and you're able to build from that. So it's definitely a little bit of strategy that you have to know going into the summer and coming out of the summer where you want to sit in terms of your commit list. Yeah, and it was interesting something you just said about how they were still kind of figuring out their board because, you know, they had a lot of kids on there, a lot of seven-on-seven teams, just a ton of people. And just by judging who you talked to, certain prospects over this weekend, you could kind of tell who was being uh, sort of prioritized a little bit more by how much one-on-one time they had with, uh, you know, a Lincoln Riley or Dante Williams or Roy Manning, whoever their position coach, Alex Grinch. You know, you talked to some kids and they were like, yeah, there was a lot of people didn't really get a lot of, you know, one-on-one time with Lincoln Ryan. He did come by, got to chat with him, but nothing like super deep or super connected. So I do want to get back, try to get that one-on-one time. And then there were other kids, you know, who, you know, took that photo shoot, you know, got pictures with the Heisman, did the did the cool photos in the, in the weight room. They had uh, meetings with Lincoln and their parents in, in his office and stuff like that. So you could definitely tell there was sort of a hierarchy with this with this junior day, you know, they had a bunch of kids there just to, you know, meet and greet, you know, get get a get a face in front of them, shake their hands. But then some kids that were in there, you know, they definitely took took it to a next another level um, with terms of, you know, making that connection uh, when they had them on campus, you know, like the FSP kids that came in on on Friday, you know, a Jaden Wayne, a Caleb Presley, uh, Jason Brown, those guys, you know, had a little bit more uh, a little more time to, to to get to know this new staff. And I'm sure that's what you got when you were in, you were you were talking to guys this weekend yeah you're always kind of keeping your ear for you know how much one-on-one time and what did you specifically learn and take because there's twofold there's first like you said the angle of the coaching staff and who they're really pursuing and taking seriously and that is about time you know how much time are they spending with that particular recruit and his family on campus and then there's the flip side of it as to what is that recruit regurgitating from that visit? And that tells you how much of an impact that coach or coaches made on that visit talking to him. You know, if it's meetings and you're talking about defense, you're talking about scheme, or you're just talking about life, they kind of regurgitate some of the things that those coaches had said when they were on campus. And so you always kind of have your ear out for both. Now you spoke to Jalen Wayne, you spoke to the FSP guys when they were at the battle at the beach which really should have been Battle at the Oaks because it was up in Thousand Oaks, and there's not a beach near Thousand Oaks. It was windy. It was cold. It was almost like FSP brought Washington weather with them as a home field advantage. Uh, But you were able to talk to a few of those guys. I wanted to know because we haven't – well, we did get the – actually, we do have the update up. That went up – I guess that we got that up, what, Saturday? Yeah. That's up on the site. Check it out. I haven't had a chance to read it, so excuse me for that. But 
I wanted to know from you with Jalen Wayne specifically, where do they see him? Is he, is he another just hybrid guy? Because the, the hybrid thing gets thrown around with a lot of different body types and you kind of wonder, okay, Roy Manning is recruiting and coaching the overhangs, which is basically those outside linebackers slash nickel safeties, the guys that are playing over the edge. But some of these bigger bodies, you wonder if those guys aren't going to be guys that would be better to have their hand on the ground. So we haven't gotten the spring ball yet. We haven't seen the evolution of the defense. It's going to change it all. It's going to be the exact same defensive front that we saw at Oklahoma. With Jalen Wayne being a five-star guy, and he played a little bit of linebacker, and he played tight end at the tournament, what did you get from him in terms of like where USC's vision is for him? Yeah, I, I, that was an interesting question because I this is my first time seeing uh, Jaden in person. And, you know, he's listed as a defensive lineman, you know, six foot five. I think he's listed at like 240, 250 or something, which seems kind of light. So I really, really interested to see what he looked like. Um, and he's not like the JT to him allow, you know, that guy looked like a defensive lineman who was athletic enough to play tight end and, uh, you know, a linebacker spot with FSP. But Wayne looked a lot. He was a lot slimmer. He looked like an edge rusher. And that's kind of what he told me that, you know, Roy Manning and them kind of see him as that edge rusher, that pass rush, that pass rushing guy. And he's, he told me that's kind of where he wants to play uh, at the next level. I know there's been some talk of maybe, you know, being a a two way guy, you know, kind of an athlete. And he and I was talking to Brandon Huffman about it because he said Wayne has been hitting him up because he wants to be listed kind of like an athlete, a dual a dual guy. Um, but he was like, look at your body, man. You're going to keep growing. So I think there is a chance, you know, just when I was talking to Huffman, uh, Brandon Huffman about it, that, you know, he could still end up being, you know, a guy with his hand in the dirt, kind of like a more traditional defensive end kind of spot. But it seems right now Roy Manning and them are looking at him as sort of, you know, an edge rusher, kind of like, you know, a Drake Jackson uh, type type guy in that with that athleticism. And he, he looked okay playing tight end. You know, he had two touchdowns. They didn't really throw it to him a lot outside of, you know, when he was in the red zone because of that matchup issue. But he moved kind of – he moved well. Um, I He did not play a lot of linebacker. I think it was almost exclusively tight end. Uh, so I didn't get to see him move around on the defensive side of the ball in coverage and stuff like that. They mainly kept him on offense. But, you know, just looking at it, you know, USC is in that top 11 right now. He's got to make the decision uh, for a commitment uh, before his senior year, which would be a nice – change of pace for the Washington guys because the last two Washington guys have gone down to the wire. JT, you know, he took it all the way into the summer, I believe, right before he had to roll. And then Connerly, yeah, and then Connerly is, you know, making his commitment at the end of this month. So he wants to get it done before the senior season. Uh, He's bucking the trend of the top Washington player doing that. And he says he's going to take those official visits uh, in the summer. And just talking to him, I feel pretty good about USC getting there. Uh, getting that final visit or one of the visits, sorry, one of those official visits. He said that, you know, they just need to keep communicating, keep talking football. That's what he said when I asked him what they need to do to to get that one of those officials. And obviously it helps that Julian Simon, his former teammate uh, at Lincoln High School, the Lincoln boys reunited. That's how he put it. Uh, he said he is recruiting him. Uh, so, you know, it's it's good to have like a longtime friend on the on the on the roster already. Uh, so I think they're doing a really good job with him in that in terms of recruiting. Yeah, that's um, an interesting dynamic. I kind of agree with Huff, though, in, for, in terms of his body and just looking at him frame-wise being a guy that maybe more of a five technique or a seven mm-hmm. technique uh, that's a traditional defensive lineman more than necessarily a hybrid guy. Just because these days, usually when you're looking at a guy that's more of a hybrid guy, he's able to do those things from a skill 
standpoint and and you kind of go well he can legitimately play that skill position but you move him down anyways and you transform him rather than being on the fence initially coming out of high school i mean i i talked to leona uh leafu leafau who is a linebacker 6'1 215 out of kahuku high school in hawaii and a guy that played safety for the pink outlaws and that was uh, the Hawaii kind of sort of team. It was, you know, some Utah guys there as well um, that played for that team. And he's playing safety for them. So he was literally like a single high safety and a guy that's normally a linebacker for Kahuku, which is good to see because, you know, he's working on his weaknesses. You know, he was working on his stress points, being in the middle of the field in space, having to cover uh, receivers out of the backfield and and just legitimate receivers not just hybrid type tight end guys but guys that are just full-fledged receivers and he looked good I got dinged a little bit in that first day and um, kind of hobbled a little bit but he came back in and and actually kind of fought through it which again was points for him because you know he doesn't really need to prove a whole lot yeah. he's a four-star guy he's, you know uh, one of the top if not the top player in Hawaii and a guy that USC really likes uh, recruiting hard he was at uh, USC Friday, and he got to sit down and talk with Brian Odom, and he got to talk a little bit with Alex Grinch this time around. So he'd been to USC earlier, and uh, this second time he was able to uh, kind of get with Alex Grinch a little more and talk about the defense. It's interesting because they like him as an inside linebacker, but they haven't necessarily gotten specific as to whether they like him as a will or they like him as a Mike. Um, there's been some weird terminology thrown around with how USC – labels their linebackers and I and I tried to ask Brian Odom that when we got an opportunity to talk to the assistant coaches uh, back in uh, February and that kind of kind of got glossed over and we didn't really get any clarification on that because I talked to uh, a couple recruits and they were talking about the Mike position being more like a wheel position so I don't know sometimes terminology is is uh is bent and shaped and it's different for different teams but traditionally we know the mike as being the guy that's the quarterback of the defense and the will being more of a position that's going to clean up and be a little more of a an attack on the weak side where you can be a little more wild and stuff and you know certainly when you look at leaf out on tape he's that guy i mean he's he's a a a seeking missile towards the line of scrimmage very quick and obviously he's got that athleticism again in seven on seven playing in the back third as a safety so he's a guy that's you know working on his coverage skills he looked pretty good he looks fast um not very big but i think this is the transition usc is going to see there at the linebacker position where they're going to give up a little bit of size and they want guys to be quicker and faster um so we're going to see that little development and evolution i think at the linebacker position and a guy that right now is playing out of position seven on circuit moving in and playing inside linebacker for usc so basically a guy that's a safety in seven on seven being an inside linebacker at USC, that's a big move away from the Cameron Smiths and the Palia Yotehote types that USC's been recruiting in the in the past. Yeah, linebacker and that edge position are kind of fascinating because USC needs bodies in those regards. So I feel like they're gonna be there this is gonna be a sizable class for both of those, for Brian Odom and for uh, Roy Manning, because it seems like they're involved with so many edge players. You know, you have Hunter Clegg who we talked to this weekend, Shotgun, had an interview with him. Uh, Wayne, like I just mentioned. But there's other guys. Uh, we haven't even talked about Mateo Ugielele, who was there for what felt like the thousandth time in the last three months. Uh, yeah. They've been recruiting him. They they offered Keelan Keeley, 
uh, a couple months ago, the Notre Dame commit, who's, you know, a five-star prospect. Um, there's just a lot of edge prospects they're going after. And linebacker as well. I feel like the linebacker board really hasn't been set. We don't really know who's really at the top. Well, we kind of know who's at the top. It's Anthony Hill, the number one linebacker in, in, in the country. You know, a guy like Takis Curtis has also emerged. I wrote, I wrote about him in the war room. And so, you know, they just offered a new linebacker today, Blake Nicholson. Um, who someone I really like going to the camp. He did not show up at the camp, though, so I didn't really get to see him. But linebacker and edge are kind of two fascinating uh, defensive positions uh, for this class to me. Yeah, edge is, is tough because there's just so many guys out there, and, and you're always going to have more of those type of bodies in the West Coast. I mean, you talk about Mateo Ungalale, and, and, you know, I mean, you look at him, and I would think if he's in the South, they would be putting him at – a defensive lineman and Absolutely. it would be no questions asked. You're not going to play tight end. You're not going to kind of linger around as a skill player on defense. And I've seen him play middle linebacker in seven on seven and he's decent. He's a decent player. He's got good footwork, but I definitely think with his body, he's already 265, 27. He's going to be a defensive lineman. And the thing is, and this is what he's kind of working against. It's kind of maybe working against him buying into that is that a lot of people said that about DJ. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah, yeah. DJ was a freshman, he was 230 as a quarterback, and people are going, you know, the Polynesian kids are going to put on weight, and they're just, he's going to grow into being a tight end. Ultimately, he's going to grow into being this position, that position, and he didn't. He stayed the course and ended up being a really good quarterback, a five star quarterback. He's now at Clemson as a starting quarterback. And so that in itself, you look at it, I'm sure Mateo's going, well, you know, a lot of people said this about my brother. And they did not turn out to be true. You know, I can do the same thing. And maybe that's where he's sort of holding out hope or maybe wants to still kind of take a look at tight end. I know when I spoke to him a couple weeks ago, eh, probably like three or four weeks ago, we talked about USC, Sean Nua, his relationship with Sean Nua. Sean Nua wasted no time getting on campus. He was like days after he was hired, he was on campus to meet with Sean Nua and talk with him. And this is after he had already been on campus in December when Lincoln Riley was initially hired. So yeah, like you said, he's been on campus a lot and that's a big deal. I always say actions speak louder than words in recruiting. And if you've got a, you know, commitment from a five-star guy or whatever, and he's just not, and he's local and he's not showing up on campus to Anthony Thomas, (coughs) you start to really wonder, it's like, this guy's not taking, he's not taking his unofficial visits. He lives down the street. Like there's a problem with that. But Mateo has been on campus a lot at USC. He has a really good relationship with Sean Nua. And I think there's a lot of trust there in Sean Nua. And when he talked to me, he definitely seemed to be buying in more to being like, they're looking at me defensive line, and I'm looking more these days at being a defensive lineman. And so I think that's good for USC. But again, the question becomes like, is he a hybrid guy? I mean, is he really? Or is he just like a guy that, you know, right now that's where his mindset is and he wants to be looked at as an athlete. And it's just that sort of GQ mentality that some of these West Coast kids have of not putting their hand in the round and just embracing being an amazing three technique. Because, listen, on draft day, you can be a guy that doesn't get drafted and you, you can call yourself a skill player, or you can go in the first two rounds and get a big bonus and have your hand in the ground. And it's like that's ultimately what it com- becomes about. And so I think, yeah, that's going to be a question. that you, you can name the list of guys that are at that hybrid position just looking at the target list, and they've got a good shot at quite a few of these guys. Um, you know, Bradley – out of uh, Missouri is a guy that USC he's got high interest in USC. Um, Blake Purchase is a guy that's got high interest in USC. Um, there's there's a handful of guys. Dylan Gooden was supposed to be out here from Maryland 
we never got to follow up with him. He was out there he for the his... first one. He did make out to yeah. the first one, yeah. And I, but I don't. I we never really got a feedback from him. But there's another guy that's on the list. So there's a lot of those guys even on the West Coast where you get those six five guys that are around you know two thirty two thirty five. I said this before. Tight end can become a position of many positions, and, and that's where you know sort of like Zach Hansen comes in. Uh, recruiting the tight end position, how it can be very important because well, everybody looks and says, oh, the tight end position is sort of outdated, you know, and it's a position that's um, sort of getting pushed out by the scheme of today's college football. It could be a position that ends up being, that kid could end up being an offensive lineman, he could end up being a defensive lineman, he could end up being a receiver, you know, a guy like Drake Jackson or Drake London. You know, that position could be many positions, so it's good to have a good recruiter there. Uh, but on the defensive side of the ball, we were already seeing some of these guys um, you know, that are that are at that position where USC has a very good shot and multiple leads. I want to transition to sort of, I think, a storyline that sort of got a little bit, not jumbled, but like maybe overshadowed a little bit uh, o- over the busyness of this weekend, is that USC was set up to have the number one running back in the country on campus, Ruben Owens, and the number two running back in the country as well in Cedric Baxter Jr., now, obviously, Ruben Owens did not wasn't able to make it out here. Uh, he had a little. He was under the weather. wasn't able to make the trip with his seven on seventeen Texas Stars. Um, they were competing in the Thousand Oaks tournament, um, so he wasn't able to make it out. But he is supposed to make up that trip uh, back to USC. And then Cedric Baxter Jr. from Florida, he did make it out. He was here for for multiple days. And you know, Andrew Ivins put a story up on our on our front page. It's up there right now. Uh, whenever you're listening to this, if you might have to go back and find it but it's up there and you know he came away really impressed by USC and you know talking with Andrew talking to him you know it sounds like USC is going to get him back on campus again and sort of that's sort of a position of need moving forward you know they, they sort of patched it up a little bit with uh, Austin Jones and Travis Dye out of the portal but running back is going to be a huge need moving forward and I expect multiple backs in this 2023 class and Lincoln Riley has been Shown he's proven that he can recruit top level running backs for his offense, and it looks like USC has their hand in for for some of the best guys in the country right now. Yeah, and that's that's really big. I mean, USC has wanted to recruit multiple backs mm-hmm. year after year after year, and they've come up short. It was I mean, a running joke. Years, they, it was a running joke they could never get to. The running back, yeah, is a position that became a running joke in terms of. <laughs> the amount of players they were getting each cycle. And like, I kept comparing to like Alabama who had like 10 guys in three years and USD had like one. And it's like, man, you, you've got to have good running backs. It's such a position. And I talked about this on the podcast already, but you know, Kyle McDonald, uh, he labeled the running back position as the biggest eraser on the field. And I was like, yes, that's, that is a great way to put it because that running back position, man, if you've got a guy that can make something out of nothing, and it's a third and two, and he's able just to break a tackle and get a few more yards and keep the chains going. It could be the difference between scoring on that drive and having to punt the ball and changing, you know, the face of the game. And so they're bringing in some high-level guys and also a few guys that have been offered that are bigger running backs, which is interesting because, you know, on USC going into air raid, they definitely shifted towards recruiting smaller running backs. Uh, but now – you have a shift with a guy like, you know, Cedric Baxter Baxter's the first guy who comes to the list, 215 pounds at 6'1". I mean, that's a pretty good size back. Mark Fletcher is another guy they're recruiting out of Florida, 6'1", 225. We saw a guy this weekend, Roderick Robertson, who is, you know, like 235 at the probably he about 6'1". He was built. He was built. He's a 
built looking dude. So they're going after some guys at that plus 200. And I know that's a pro style thing. I know going back to when Kennedy Palomalu was a running back coach at USC, when he came to USC, one of the first things he said to me is, where are my 200 plus pound backs? Like we need guys that are at that 200 plus pound range to be able to run on short yardage, to be able to run with one running back, uh, you know, more than 15 times a game. And so USC hasn't had a lot of that. They've, they've sort of dabbled in it a little bit. You know, they had Marquis Step there, which a lot of people really like Marquis Step. He transfers out. Uh, you know, they had, uh, you know, Vi Melipai, who ended up being in that 220-pound, 225-pound range. But I think in terms of his style of running, he was a little more of a skilled player. He wasn't a guy that was necessarily a north and south type of runner. So with that Oklahoma offense, you know, a lot of people, again, they think about the quarterbacks, they think about the receivers, but I was even looking at it. They use the fullback. They use the H back a yeah. lot in that offense, even though they're not running out of the I formation, it's not a traditional fullback. They've got guys that kind of run those wham blocks that are, you know, six, one, six, two and get out into the flats as receivers. And so, you know, these bigger backs, I know, they're going to be used for more than just, you know, being, you know, straight running backs. I think that they want to move these guys around a bit. They get really, they got Raleigh Brown last recruiting cycle. He's a smaller back. I think they're going to move him around a lot in the sit in the slot. So it's going to be a little bit of a shell game with that running back position. And that's even more reason to get multiple guys in a class. And it's an opportunity to get multiple guys in a class because you have that ability to sell different roles within your offense i'm glad you brought up roger robinson that was the that was my first time seeing him looks like a legit 230 220 he's built so thick and it but it looks good he's got some he's got some ham hocks on him that's a that's a term i've coined uh for the thighs but he he's got some legs on him and he he looked like he'd run you over and he did make your uh your uh under armor camp top uh, top performers list. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, do you want me to run through it real quickly? Not my list, our list. Let's let's make it clear. That, it's that, that, you you wrote it. We gave input, but you wrote it. That's that sort of. Yeah, it's got to go up. So <laughs> <laughs> I say, hey, what do you guys think? And Shaka and gave some great. I mean, because I, you know, just to give some context here, we're filming. And we're kind of covering different positions in different parts of the field during the whole camp. So the camp is broken into positions. So offensive line, defensive line came in nine o'clock. Then you had linebackers, running backs that came in around like 11, 11, 15. And then you had the quarterbacks, defensive backs and receivers that came in later in the day. So we kind of go through that whole thing and there's a little bit of overlap. So we start to split up and we start to see different things. So you have to kind of bring the staff together and say, all right, what did you see? I saw, you know, this many reps of the defensive backs on my side of the field, but then they flip and then you got to see, you know, the other half of reps from the defensive back. So we're comparing notes. So yeah. yeah, in terms of who made the list, it wasn't just me going, this is what I saw because I didn't see everything and I didn't see every rep. Um, so we sort of, you know, brought it together, but uh, yeah, I, I wrote it and uh, we kind of went through, I thought we, we, we got a good sort of consensus of what was going on, what was happening, certainly from the perspective 
of USC targets. Yeah. You know, there's going to be more kids that become targets or what have you that maybe we weren't focused on going into the camp. But you sort of have a list of guys and you go, okay, these are the guys that USC is recruiting. These are the guys that are supposed to show up. So these are the guys we're going to look for and these are the guys we're going to watch. It's difficult to go into a camp these days with the amount of kids that schools offer and say, I'm going to go find a guy. Like maybe, you know, if you're Greg Biggins, if you're, a, you're just a national uh, recruiting analyst, you might be able to do that a little more and have a little more open mind. We are focusing on getting content for the Trojan fans because there's guys that they want to know about. And those are the guys that USC is already recruiting. It's not the guys that they might be recruiting. Granted, there probably may be a, lot, a guy here on the list that USC is not recruiting as hard as they will. Uh, you kind of know that. And so you, you watch those guys as well. But certainly we want to make sure that we watch the guys that already have those offers. And in some you know, it's, it's already committed so we can say, OK, we saw enough to give you an honest, objective evaluation of how they performed. Yeah, I mean, there were some uh, obvious guys that made the list. Guys, you shouldn't be surprised that uh, USC five-star quarterback commit Malachi Nelson. He was one of the uh, MVPs. Uh, Eli Rushing, uh, Elijah Rushing, excuse me. I believe that was the first time either of us had seen him, the number one edge rusher in the 2024 class. Um, USC cornerback commit Aaron Wright, he made your list. Uh, Marcellus Wiley, or Marcellus Williams, not Wiley, not the the commentator. I'm getting uh, all screwed up there. He he made the list. And a guy you're big on, uh, three-star athlete out of Los Ethan O'Connor made the list. Yeah, I, I like Ethan. I think Ethan is definitely overlooked a bit. You've got Makai Lemon there who was hurt, kind of went through some of the drills and then basically just said, no, it's not worth it. He got hurt at a seven-on-seven tournament a couple weeks ago. So he was there but didn't really work out, and that gave Ethan a chance to actually work out a receiver. And I've seen him play defensive back and I've played, seen him play receiver. I like him a little more as a, as a defensive back. Uh, he can legitimately play corner. He can play safety. He's long. He's about six foot one. He's got really good ball skills, and he was good at this camp. He was very consistent. He ran good routes. He's just a guy that sort of, I think, people kind of overlooked him just at the camp specifically because he was wearing a defensive backs jersey. <laughs> so he yeah. was the only wide receiver wearing a black jersey, and people were kind of going, huh, what? But uh, he was really good. Yeah, I've been a, a fan of his, and a guy that is being recruited Hard by USC still. Uh, reoffered, and I think you talked to him after the I, camp. I did. did he, uh, you said you like him more on the defensive side of the ball, and Dante Williams would agree with you because that is sort of where they're looking at him. That is who his primary recruiter is. They're recruiting him at that cornerback spot, and he did pick up the reoffer. That was another interesting uh, theme uh, with the the visitors because a lot of those guys had offers coming uh, or from the previous staff, and a lot of guys picked up the reoffer. Caleb Presley, uh, the top uh the national cornerback prospect who was FSB. He also picked up the reoffer. Jason Brown, the dynamic uh, athlete out of uh, Washington as well. He also picked up a reoffer. And O'Connor, he picked up the reoffer as well. He had a lot of nice things to say about uh, about you know USC in that visit. He was taken back by sort of the amount of people that were there, just like how well organized it was, how well run uh, this junior day was. Uh, him and Mar- uh, Marcellus Williams both kind of talked about this, how everywhere they went, it just seemed like there were so many more support staff people. Like everywhere they turned, there was someone that was there to to help them get there where going or someone there was there to, you know, introduce themselves or say, hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to USC. Welcome to the Col- Coliseum. It just felt like a lot more people um, were in front of them. And one of the uh, 
Marcellus actually told me a story, a funny story of how they were at lunch and they actually had like an MC person kind of like shouting out everyone who walked through like, hey, this is da-da-da from ba da 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 Welcome, welcome him. Like it was just like emceeing a lunch and someone as me, like an introvert, I would have hated that. I would have absolutely hated that. Like I just want to eat my turkey sandwich. I don't want people to know where I'm from. D- don't don't say anything about me. Just, just I don't want the intention on me. But, you know, kids like that stuff. So and they came away impressed by that. It's like, that might seem not seem like a big deal, but I thought that was like an interesting little little new wrinkle for these junior day events. I mean, little things can't go a long ways. I mean, I remember when uh, Malachi Nelson was telling me about how they had ballet uh, for the first junior day at the Coliseum, and it was one of those things. Uh, I was talking to him, and I was talking to his father, and it was like, yeah, we pulled up, and you know, I was out of the car, had a wristband, had a ticket to get something to eat all within like the first three minutes I was on campus. And that is absolutely not the way things were going for previous staffs. I mean, that's, that's definitely a new take on it. And getting the people in front of the people that matter is a huge thing in recruiting. You've got to get the kids and the prospects who are priorities in front of the people who matter in their recruitment. And, you know, you spend time with people being in lines and, I remember after sanctions seeing Cameron Smith standing in a line that must have been 200 deep, and he was, you know, 204. And they're trying to get in to the Coliseum for the spring game, and they were standing out there for like an hour. Oof. And this was all because of sanctions and because I don't know what they were doing retinal scans or something. They couldn't get in to the gate right away. And I remember talking to one of the support staff guys. This was back in the day when they had like you know three or four support staff guys that actually worked on recruiting. And um, he's like, yeah, man, we just like, they're just making them go through all this different stuff. It's like background checks just to get in to a stinking spring game. And I just thought to myself, this is such a bad look. This is just so bad for recruiting that you've got parents and kids that are just standing out there and, you know, in a line for that long under the hot sun. And so getting kids in and out and getting on campus and getting as much time actually on campus in front of the people who matter is a really big deal. Um, but going back to the Under Armour camp, and, and one of the first guys you mentioned, and I, I did want to kind of mention and talk about was Elijah Rushing, because I'd spoken to him, and he's actually only been in California twice, even though he's from Arizona. The first time he was at, in, in California, in Southern California, was for the Rivals camp. And then the second time was at the camp Sunday. So he doesn't have a lot of familiarity with Los Angeles and and the traffic and everything. Um, The traffic. He he talked about, yeah, I mean, he's from Tucson, right? So he's from the same high school uh, as uh, as, uh, B. John Robinson. So he's sort of the next in line. And he will be the next in line. He went to USC, went on his unofficial visit, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, spoke well about the coaching staff. He's definitely new to the recruiting process, and he's taking it very slowly. He's definitely taking it slowly. He's a 2024 prospect, so he's got time in front of him. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to have to make a decision next December, so he's taking things slowly, but it's definitely a new process for him and meeting all these different people and going to camps and everything, Uh, but he's a real deal, 6'5", 225, and really, I think, for me, just watching, and I was watching the offensive line, but obviously you get to see one-on-ones. You see the defensive line as well. He went untouched on a couple of his reps. And he only, I think, went four times. So he didn't get a ton of reps. I would like to see him get more. And I would like to see him get more against better competition. But nevertheless, as a sophomore, he blew by the guys that were trying to block him. And I think was kind of far and away 
the best combination of performance and prospect. Because you get guys that come in and they perform well at the camps. You go, okay, this guy. But sometimes you get guys that, you know, they practice this stuff at camps. They go through cone drills. They've got off-season trainers. And they do a good job preparing them for what they're going to see at a camp. So you get the performance half of it. But then you get the guys that just walk on the field and go, okay, but that guy has got the potential from a physical potential standpoint, right? The skill set and everything. He maybe, maybe didn't perform as well, but that's the guy that's got all the physical tools. And he had a really, I think, one of the best combinations of physical tools combined with actually going out there and performing well uh, Sunday. So he was a guy that stood out, and I think a guy that, while he didn't get that scholarship offer from USC while he's on campus, he's going to get a scholarship offer. Like, you know, it's not a bold prediction. <laughs> he's going to get a scholarship. I'm surprised he left campus without a scholarship offer. But, you know, he's playing in Tucson. It's obviously smaller competition. But yeah, B. John Robinson has turned out to be a, a decent player in college. And I think that if you see a guy that has a lot of talent and he's, uh, you know, I don't know what even what kind of numbers that Elijah Rushing is putting up uh, right now. Maybe that's part of it. I, I don't know the whole backstory to him as a, as a prospect yet. I'm going to do my research. But certainly what we saw from him Sunday was a guy that, from a physical t- standpoint, he's got a ton of skill, and he performed well against those guys that they got thrown in front of him. Absolutely. Gerard, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about the camp before we go to a little break and then we get into some questions? Because we do have a little bit of some questions for our inaugural episode. Yeah, let's squeeze in just a little talk about Aaron Wright, because you talked about Aaron White, and he was uh, one of the few freshmen prospects that was at the camp and a guy that I've seen a bunch of I saw him play twice last season uh, I saw him play at a seven on tournament earlier this year and he's a freshman okay first and foremost so let's just you know, preface it with he is a freshman going to be a sophomore but he is 6'2 he's 170 175 pounds already long lean has the look you see why he's got scholarship offers Absolutely. not just from USC but from Oregon and, and, and Washington and, and Oklahoma and those schools. But this was the first opportunity that I got to see him where he came out and he played confidently and decisively. He didn't look like a freshman. That's the first time that I can actually say that he came out and as a prospect really just looked like he was comfortable out there. He was playing with confidence. He never looked out of sorts. Um, he, he, he chose the right techniques at the right time in terms of his coverage and what he was doing, whether it was one-on-one or in drills, he just looked really good, you know? And, and again, you, you, you know, you have certain expectations and he's a freshman. You say, well, you know, he's going to look young and there's things that are going to happen. He's going to get burned by this guy or that guy, but he just was consistent the whole day. Mm-hmm. Looked really good. Uh, got invited to the Under Armour All-America game, you know, which is going to be 2025. Cause that's the class that he's a part of. But interestingly enough, talking to him after the camp and just going through, and he'd been at the first junior day with USC, this last junior day that he was on campus, he was able to talk more with Dante Williams. And he said, you know, we got in, we got to chop up some film and talk about some techniques and some jab steps and things I can do and things I can look for in preparation for this camp. And I mean, I got to say, whatever Dante Williams told him, he really did take to heart and he performed well, and he seemed like he just felt like he knew what was coming, and there was nothing that was going to daunt him, and he just went through it, and he was definitely one of the top defensive backs that we saw uh, at that camp, regardless of uh, what class he was in. Yeah, this is my first time seeing him on uh, a Saturday. Also, great nickname, by the way, and just Jet. Everyone was calling him Jet. Jet. Um, so I had to keep in mind that was that was a, not Aaron, it's Jet. Um, but 
Yeah, he he definitely. I had to remind myself several times that he's a 2025, not a 2024, a 2025. So that 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 in my mind, you know, he was super long. I didn't expect him to be that long, and like you said, the confidence was just there. Uh, he had a really nice uh, pass breakup right in front of me when he was on my side of the field. Uh, stayed with his man, didn't get panicked, turned around, broke it up. Really nice play on the sideline. Had his cheering section in the stands. So uh, good-looking prospect, good-looking uh, commit early in this class. Um, obviously, a lot of time between now and when he signs. But, you know, if USC holds on to him in the end, you know, I think that's going to be a really nice pickup. Yeah, for sure. I, I think um... – you know, the, the rationalization for committing so early, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I talked to his dad, TJ, uh, back when he committed, and they talked about, you know, listen, there's a lot that can happen between now and when he's actually going to sign a letter of intent. And on our side, you know, we're talking about all the different things from a risk-injury standpoint and being able to know that you've got that scholarship offer from USC and you've got that education locked away. And so, you know, it makes sense to commit early. And, and on USC side, they got to do the work to – keep him committed and, and to keep him happy because he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to be a national crew. He's going to be recruited uh, from schools all over the nation. Um, he's got a really good relationship with Dante Williams, but 2025 is a long, long ways away. And so we'll see how everything shakes out in his recruitment. He's a, he's a young kid too. He's definitely a kid, you know, not like, uh, you know, the sort of JT Daniels type of recruit that comes out and he's already, you know, well-polished and, you know, it's almost like he's reading from a script. He's just a young guy, and and I like that. You know, it's a genuineness about him. Um, but on the field Sunday, he didn't play like a young kid. Like you said, he had a great pass breakup on your side of the field. He had a great, you know, off-arm pass breakup on a post route uh, that I saw. And, again, you know, he's long, and he has that length, and this is why, you know, defensive back coaches love tall defensive backs because they've got those long arms. And when you think you've got an opening as a quarterback – all of a sudden that long arm comes out and you underestimate how much reach is there and, and how much wingspan is there to knock that ball away. And that's what he did with that off arm. And he was able to just knock it down. Um, but he wasn't beat, you know, initially. And that's the thing is, you know, as a young defensive back, you can sort of get out of feet with your uh, footwork. You can sort of get out of sorts with your hips and sort of where you are balance wise. And you just didn't see that from him Sunday. He was just all over everything. And so it was definitely cool to see that maturation. And then, like I said, talking to him afterwards, seeing that, you know, he gave some credit to Dante Williams, just talking to him about technique and sort of what to look for uh, when he was there uh, on his unofficial visit. Great stuff, as always. Uh, Let's take that quick break, and then we'll come back and do some questions. Welcome back, Gerard. I hope you had a great break. I had a fantastic break. Uh, we, everything I imagined it would be. <laughs> we have some questions here because anytime anyone sees Gerard Martinez taking questions, we get like 30 bags of fan mail and we have to sort of sort through this. Um, I know this is like asking Shotgun to be succinct, but you don't have to talk forever. We can, we can, you can give quicker answers if you, if you choose. Does that make sense? Is that a, th- is that, is that a warning, a threat, or just a kindly suggestion? I think it's all three. All three, okay. More so with a threat. Just more, okay. more. This is going to be a two-hour podcast a if you take if you take all your brain power to think about each one. So 
we're just going to try to run through these. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's let's try to run through them. Okay, Trojan for Life wants to know, what are the chances USC lands Connerly? I'll give my input here first. I think there's actually a really good chance. I I'm, I hope I don't eat these words, but I just have a good – sometimes in recruiting, I just have the feeling. Sometimes the feeling has uh, led me to be on – Kevin Kirkland. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> On our inaugural podcast, you're gonna bring up Kirkland. I a uh, Kirkwood. Kirkwood. 90%. Kirkwood. 90%. Kirkwood, yeah. Yes. Sorry, we're not uh, going shopping at Sam's Club. Yes, Devin Kirkland. No, Kirkwood. God. Kirk Kirkwood. Kirkwood. Kirk Kirk all I Kirk remember Wood. is ninety percent. And I just remember that. I feel like it was ninety five percent. Why go ninety percent? Look, just, I got know, redemption like, this 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 cycle around, I don't remember who, but I went in for a couple of 90s and I got them. So I felt a little bit of redemption, but I'm never going to live that down. And that's okay. Sometimes you get it wrong. But I feel really good about USC's chances with Connerly, the five-star offensive tackle out of Washington. That's just all. That's just where I feel. I feel like I have a great Nine, chance. 90%? 90% good? Like, it's a forecast, and it's the night before he's going to actually make his commitment and sign. What's the forecast look like, percentage-wise? I, I would probably put it at like 70, 75. Okay. That's where I would put it. I'd give it an 80. Oh. I'd go with a solid 80% right now, USC. Okay. Okay. Now that's pre visit. That's pre visit. Yes, official visit still. You know, we know that. But I think USC is in a very good position right now and they've done a good job, you know, keeping up with him, staying in contact. But you got to close the deal and, you know, stuff can happen and, We'll see uh, how it shakes out. We're going to uh, see a lot of stuff happen here in March. But, yeah, I think they're definitely the leader right now for uh, Josh Connolly Jr. A follow-up from Trojan for Life is, do you expect any commitment announcements for the 2023 class in the next month? I'm assuming he means the rest of March. I do. I do. I think you're going to have too many guys coming in on unofficial visits, and there are going to be some guys that come out publicly, I think. Don't know how USC wants to play that, but we know that there are some silent commitments. And it's just interesting behind the scenes because, again, they're still building their board. You know, I think they're mm-hmm. still trying to get a feel for, like, who can we land? You know, and when you get kids on campus and all of a sudden you get this feeling like, wow, you know, we got this guy to come out here on his own dime with his family. And you got to understand these unofficial visits during the month of March, this is the recruits that are paying for these trips. So these are not official visits. Official visits will happen you get in April, you get into June, uh, and then obviously during the season. But that's a little different. Right now you're getting unofficial visits. So these are kids that want to see USC badly enough that they're going to pay to get out here and spend some time in Los Angeles. And so that tells you a lot. Again, actions speak louder than words. And so the staff starts to feel it out and go, okay, we got all these kids on campus unofficially you know, we might have a chance at some of these guys. And so you got to make your read. And then from that standpoint, you got to go, okay, well, who do we want to take here uh, at these positions? Because we have, you know, certain guys that we might be able to get that are better. So, you know, USC's strategy in the past few years with Clay Helton was really, we'll just take whoever and then sort it out later. It doesn't seem like they're doing that right now. It does seem like they want to kind of get a feel for the initial guys in the class to be like the core guys that they really want. They're not just going to take some guys that they kind of want now, but are not sure about how they're going to feel about them when it gets to October, November. 
Best Laker fans wants to know, will this be the best wide receiver class in history? I'm assuming that means, you know, they signed Makai Lemon, Zachariah Branch, and Brandon Innes out of Florida. Um, and he means the best in terms of, you know, the talent that a school signs out of the high school ranks. Um, obviously, Gerard has a lot more time in this industry than me. So he has, he probably is going to pull out a class that I've never even heard of Uh from 2002 or something like that. But I mean, I feel like it has a, a good chance. You know, all those guys are five stars. You signed three five star guys, uh, Branch and Ennis, I believe, are number one and number two. Uh, Makai Lemon being the number one athlete. Um, I mean, I think it has a good chance to, to go down, go down like that. Gerard, I don't know about what you think. Listen, first and foremost, when it comes to history and we're talking <laughs> about like classes, I erased, like, in order to fit all the stuff of the 2022 and 23 or 23 and 24, I have to forget all about that, that what happened sense. in 2006. You're like, just wiping the, you're wiping the motherboard. Completely. It's like that Mary with Children episode where they taught Kelly Bundy all that stuff about sports and she forgot how to tie her shoes or how to brush her teeth or comb her hair. Like, you just, there's some information you have to bring in and you just have to eliminate all that other stuff. So 2008, I don't know what happened to 2008, 2009, don't know anything that happened. So when it comes to history, I know Alabama had some pretty amazing recruiting classes at the receiver position with guys like Jerry Judy, but I couldn't tell you from a rating standpoint, like how the class might stack up in comparison. I think it will be potentially among the best. And I think you're talking about maybe four guys in the class that end up, you know, being able to play receiver and then potentially a tight end in there. You get a guy like Deuce Robinson, who he's a tight end, but you have to consider him as a receiver as well in that class. And I think that's a huge deal as well. So yeah, I think it's definitely going to be one of those classes that they could be, it could rival, you know, the best in modern recruiting history. Now, again, we're going to get all caught up with, you know, what happens before the season, they've got to play the season, kind of going back to uh, a kind of a funny bit with Aaron White. You know, when I talked to him after the camp, uh, the USC commit, the 2025 commit, and again, he's a freshman, he's a young guy. What are your expectations of USC this season? I hope they win the championship. I said, what championship? He goes, the national championship. I said, you think USC is going to win the national championship this year? He goes, I hope they do. I go, well, I, I understand you hope they do but what are your actual expectations of it and he kind of begrudgingly goes well I, I i expect them to win you know double the amount of games that they won last year I'm like okay eight games i go that's that's reasonable that's reasonable it's not reasonable to think usc is really going to be competing for a national title next year to expect that i think is too much but that's going to be a big part of how good this class is because you know the expectations of recruits is not necessarily expectations of Trojan fans who have watched this team fall apart and watched this program sort of sink underwater to some extent over the past six years uh, from, you know, just a recruit that's like USC's great, Lincoln Riley's great, so that means they should be in the conversation for the college football playoff at the end of the year. You know, so we're going to have to see how that sort of impacts things. You know, if you win eight games, is that enough? If it, does it have to be nine games? Does it have to be ten games? You know, what's that number of games – that sort of clicks where you show the trajectory of the program going up and there is that sort of inevitability that USC is going to be back in a national championship game in the near future. Because if you can prove that on the field, then indeed you're going to have those positions where you're going to be able to argue 
this is the best position, you know, nationally in the past five, 10 years. I got a text from my producer shotgun that 2016 had Tyler Vaughn's Michael Pittman, Bayless Jr., uh, Amata Bebe, and Trayvon Sidney, and Pi Young. Um, so, yeah, I don't... Well, that's, I mean, that's okay, but, you know, you can look in hindsight as to, like, where those players went. And that's another thing that always sort of uh, plays into your perspective of, of what was best and, you know, what maybe the guys didn't pan out. And it shouldn't, you know, we, we should just look at rankings and like, you know, because that's what the work is. The work is getting the five stars and getting how they turn out isn't necessarily the recruiting. That's just player development. There's a lot of things that happen. Guys get injured. So you do have to look ahead of time. That was a big receiver class. And obviously Vaughn's was a five star. Uh, Trevon Sidney was a high four star. Michael Pittman was a high four star. Uh, Velas Jones was, I think, a three star um, that was a good class, obviously deep. I don't think there's going to be that many receivers signed in 2023 at uh, a high school, but quality. I mean, if you're talking about Brandon Ennis, you're talking about Zach Branch and Makai Lemon, just, just that group right there, that's high level quality, you know, and that's three guys that are very dynamic playmakers um, that can do a lot with the ball in their hands. So yeah, that's, that's, I would say that class right there, just those three guys, actually beats those five, six guys from 2016. CSB wants to know, does Riley Laufer commit to take official visits elsewhere, or is he like Chris Peterson? I can handle this one. I check with Oklahoma, and they do let – Riley has in the past let you know commits take visits elsewhere – Remember, Relique Brown took a visit to USC while he was committed. I don't think they like it. I don't think really any school likes it, but they do let uh, commits take visits elsewhere. Yeah, I've never heard that being a thing, you know, like it is with some other schools and the kid takes an official visit and then immediately, you know, the fan base of the school that he took a visit to is like, okay, when are they going to drop him? So, yeah, that's never been a thing for Oklahoma and it's really it's not usually the best policy because inevitably somebody is going to call your bluff and it's going to probably be a pretty good recruit. Uh, Andrew A91, which non-West Coast Brandon Ittis stud, 2023 stud, does USC have the best shot at? And just anecdotally, can you talk a little bit about the changes you have seen recruiting between this regime and the past at USC? Um, in terms of number one, I feel like I'm cheating with this one because – the name I'm going to throw out there is Francis Mau- Mauiga, Mauauga, uh, the big offensive tackle, five-star offensive tackle out of IMG. But he is technically a California prospect, uh, played out here in the San, Ber- San Bernardino area, and then transferred to IMG. So I would still kind of consider him a California guy, but he is technically a Florida recruit. Um, and I think USC is in a really good spot for him. Um, you know, I think there's a factor of maybe – you know, a little bit homesickness, come back home to California where his family is. And, you know, Sean Nua and and them have been doing a really good job. He's He's gone on campus a couple times already uh, with Lincoln Riley there. And that would be kind of the big stud I would throw out. Yeah, I mean, I think Magoa is definitely a big name. And like you said, been out in California, originally from Australia, I believe. And so you mean, he's uh, definitely got Samoa? I think I think he I think he was in Australia before 
Uh, he came from Samoa, though. I think he went to Australia and lived in Australia for a while, and then from Australia, moved to Southern California, and now he's at IMG in Florida. Um, so, yeah, maybe not necessarily the the prototypical big-time out-of-state uh, recruit. I mean, Isaiah Robinson, you know, right below him is another guy that has been pretty pretty big about USC and mm-hmm. raved about USC. Took an unofficial visit last season. Um, you know, 6'6", 280-pound offensive tackle from Arlington, Texas is a guy that USC is a pretty good shot at, and that's definitely a obvious you know position of need is offensive line for USC. Uh, we talked a little bit about Deuce Robinson. Deuce Robinson, interesting because he does play baseball, and he's a very good baseball player. So he's a guy that you could end up getting a commitment from, but how much football he plays remains to be seen. And, and you know, Shotgun at some point could probably chime in as to what kind of prospect Deuce Robinson really is and whether, you know, baseball is actually going to be a threat to whether he plays much football. Um, in terms of receivers, are there any out-of-state guys that USC's on? They're going to get a few kids that are going to come in uh, here this weekend, one of those being Akeem Williams, who's a 6'3", 195-pound wide receiver from Fort Lauderdale. He plays on the same team as Brendan Enos. Uh, he's a little bigger. He's 6'3", 195, and that's probably the – uh, the aspect of recruiting the receiver position that we're kind of interested to see, you know, they've got some of the smaller guys, right? They've, you know, Brandon Enos is only like six, one, six foot. He's 190 pounds. He, he's a stout receiver, but he's not necessarily a big receiver. He, he's not a split end. Uh, Zach Branch obviously is a slot guy, a little smaller, five, eight, 165 pounds, you know, junior Olympic sprinter. So he's a speed guy inside. And then you've got um, Makai Lemon, who is really sort of a St. Brown, clone in a lot of ways he's a little bigger uh than uh, Amon Ross St. Brown but still sort of of that stature and probably plays the position similarly and those guys are not big guys now that may be the evolution of the offense you know you're playing spread offense we've seen USC get smaller at the receiver position uh over the past few years despite there being Drake London um and them having that sort of quasi receiver tight end role a lot of the guys, Gary Bryant, they go get Taj Washington. Um, they they got the kid from Colorado, uh, Katie Nixon, who's really, really small. So they definitely got a little smaller as they wanted to spread the ball around a little more. Um, you know, Oklahoma technically sort of comes from that air raid tree, but we know Lincoln Riley's had a 1,000-yard rusher almost every year at Oklahoma. Um, you think with that you want to maybe get some bigger receivers um, to be able to run the ball because that does correlate. You, when you have receivers that can block downfield, you definitely have a better run game. And unless you're getting guys like Robert Woods, which are kind of few and far between, this is you know a six foot guy that's 195 pounds, 200 pounds that just blocks tenaciously. Or Amon Ross St. Brown, and, and and you know there are those guys that exist. Certainly, I think with Makai Lemon, he's one of the most tenacious you know six foot receivers you're going to find. He's a physical dude. There's a lot of people that think he should be playing defensive back because he's such a physical, ferocious type of competitor. Um, but, you know, you can't get those run blockers out of six-foot receivers, but you tend to look for where's that six three six four guy too as well. So they're going to have, you know, a guy like Hakeem Williams who comes in uh, from out of state. Obviously, we already talked about Ruben Owens, number one running back in the country who's going to unofficially visit USC, might come in for the spring game. He's already setting up an official visit for USC during the summer, which is huge. Cedric Baxter just came in. Uh, on an unofficial visit, running back from Orlando, Florida. Um, so you have those guys on offense that are going to be uh, potentially big-time out-of-state guys. I think you know defensive line is going to be the position where 
in terms of need, they might need to go out of state if they're going to get a big-time defensive lineman because there's just nobody locally or really even regionally that's jumping off the radar as a guy that's a game-changer uh, on the interior offensive line. On the edge, different story. We already talked a little bit about Jaden Wayne. Uh, we talked about uh, Blake you know, Purchase, who's going to be out here uh, at some point unofficially visiting USC. Chendavian Bradley, another guy, 6'5", 210 pounds from Missouri. Talked about him already. Edge guys, but the interior guys, outside of Mateo, if you, if you look at him and say he could maybe be an interior guy, um, the interior guys are going to probably have to go maybe to the south and the Midwest yet. Um, so we'll see if there's anybody who really jumps out uh, on an unofficial visit, because that's the first thing. you got to get these guys out here, preferably unofficially, um, to sort of get you know them you know, really acclimated to L.A., and then they come on an official visit, and that's where you're sort of able to make you know a big, big move in their recruitment. That's sort of a similar question, kind of what you were talking about. Trojan Bama Boer wants to know, how many trench players do you see the staff aiming for in 2023, the O-line and defensive line? So I feel like the O-line and the D-line class are going to be significant classes just because we know that they haven't really recruited those areas quite well the last couple of seasons. So they need to replenish the the depth chart, the the war chest, if you will, for the for the trenches. I mean, is is eight too many combined between those two positions? Yeah, I think you, you try to aim for seven, um, yeah. potentially eight. It, it always comes up to, like, who can you get at the end of the year? You know, who do you have a shot at? Um, certainly we've seen them miss with any real game changers at offensive tackle. And so that's obviously got to be something that's at the top of the list. If you can get Josh Connerly, that's going to maybe impact you a little negatively with some of the other offensive tackles in the 2023 class because they're going to see him there but you really have not been able to get any real franchise-type offensive tackles for the last three recruiting cycles. You've gotten some bodies, but you have not gotten the guys that out of the gates are going to be pushing for immediate playing time. So, yeah, you, I think four offensive linemen is not you know out of the question. Three maybe defensive linemen. Um, again, we'll go back to Jaden Wayne. and you know Is he interior guy that ends up being like a five technique, puts his hand on the ground, or is he coming in as a hybrid and you really don't look at him like that initially? So there's always fudging of numbers. The other thing that's going to impact this is the transfer portal, you know, and mm-hmm. that's going to be a big impact as to who you get and whether those guys are going to be one and done or they're guys that end up hanging around a little longer. There's that COVID year that is not initially counted. It's not there on the scholarship, but it's sort of lingering. They can take that year. So, that makes it a little harder to, to know, too. There's a little bit of vagueness as to you know who they're going to be able to have there and what kind of uh, depth they're going to have after the year. Are there guys that have good enough years where they transfer and then they're gone to the NFL, or are there guys that are going to have to stick around a little more because that's going to impact you as you get closer to December and early signing period? Since we're already talking about it, we gotta. I feel like we should just stay on sort of the trench questions, 34 34- Jump cut as West Coast offensive line prospects for 2023 and 2024. Who are the top ones and are we getting them in for visits? Well, for 2023, you know, outside of like I just mentioned with Francis Mauega, you know, he's, I guess, considered a California, but he's out there in Florida. It's not super top heavy with talent on the West Coast. Some some names USC has offered uh, Simone Pale out of North Car- NorCal, uh, Micah Buenelos out of Washington, 
Both those guys picked up offers. They were there for the first junior day. Um, Three-star guys, big guys, though, heavy interior guys, like 330, 320-pound guys. Those guys, you know, project as offensive guards. Uh, Elijah Page out of Arizona is a guy I really like. Uh, six foot six, around 260, 270. You know, he just picked up a Notre Dame offer. He's been picking up steady power five offers. You know, a guy maybe we could see bump up into the four star range. Those are kind of the the three big ones that are you that are on the recruiting board right now for 2023. And then looking to 2024, I know Gerard hates looking so far ahead to to these far off classes, but DeAndre Carter out of modern day, he's their big offensive tackle, you know, considered the next big offensive tackle out of California. USC has already offered him. I don't believe he's on campus. There's a possibility he's made a trip up there, but I haven't seen anything where he has been on campus. Eugene yeah, Brooks. Yeah, he was on campus for the first uh, junior day. Okay. He confirmed okay. that with me. So then he got on uh, Eugene Brooks uh, out of Desert Pines in uh, uh, Nevada. Desert Pines in Nevada. Yes. Desert Pines. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Uh, six foot three, 360. He was on campus this weekend. Uh, him and Elijah Payne. Uh, you know, this guy was offered out of Texas A&M by Josh Henson. So, you know, he's familiar with him. I'm sure he's going to be on the board at some point for 2024. Again, big guy, big interior guy, six foot three, 360. I believe he was playing a little bit of tackle uh, at the Under Armour camp. And then the, the big one for 2024 is Asendra Afua. Uh, he is out of Washington. He is the number one interior offensive line prospect, number nine overall in the top in the early top 100 for 2024. USC has offered him. Uh, he's six foot five, three thirty, and that's a good three thirty. It's not a, it's not bad weight. Um, again, Josh Henson also offered him while he was at Texas A&M, so he is aware who he is, and I'm sure he's going to be you know on the mind of Henson moving forward. Uh, so those are kind of the, the three big ones on the West Coast for 2024. Um. Yeah, Dredd, I don't know if you want to add anything there, but those are kind of the the big names to know right now. There, yeah, there'll be more kids that yeah. start to develop. Um, I, this is kind of a product of summer camps and college camps is really where you start to see more offensive line offers go out to future classes because you know offensive line, especially on the West Coast, and I say this time and time again, a lot of these guys might be six five, two forty, two fifty. They're not going to be like they are in the South where they're 315 pounds ready-made as sophomores. Um, so out here you got kids playing multiple sports, playing basketball, playing volleyball. And so some of these guys are going to be a lot leaner. Um, I mean, Elijah Jacket is a good example of a kid I talked to who was at the Under Armour camp um, uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday, who's, you know, he's 250, maybe 260 pounds, and he's about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, so he's a very lean kid, but he was up uh, at the junior day and talk to Josh Henson and, and feels like, you know, he's a priority recruit for USC and not a guy that's going to be a national guy because, you know, he's 250, 260 pounds, but certainly got some athleticism and he's got that frame. He's a true tackle frame and a guy that USC is really looking at hard. Um, so there's going to be some guys that are local that USC has to make a, a push on because they have to be able to project. Being on the West Coast in, in the Pac-12 you're going to have good offensive lines. You're going to have to project some guys. You're going to have to find some Chad Wheelers that are 250-pound offensive tackles who play volleyball and then look at them and say, frame-wise, we can put 300 pounds on this guy. He has the footwork and athleticism and the length to be able to play offensive tackle and bring him in and develop him. And so development is key with West Coast talent when it comes to linemen. Not so much with the quarterbacks and the receivers – you have plenty of those guys that are off-season workouts and they've been going through the process. But with the trenches, you've got to find kids 
occasionally that are going to be those you know underdeveloped guys that are 250 pounds that you have to bulk up and you have to be able to project them. Another guy in the 2023 class that Chris didn't mention was Alani Noah, who uh, took uh, another unofficial visit to USC for the junior day Saturday. I think he was also at the first junior day. So, I mean, he's a pretty big guy, 6'4", 320 pounds, out of Sacramento, three-star guard, number 22 in the nation. And that's a kid that, again, locally, listened to Sean Nua when he answered Brian Abraham's question about you know, there's not a lot of big bodies in the West Coast. We've seen that over the years, that there seems to be less linemen that you can recruit. And Sean Lewis' response to that question was, they're out there. You just got to find them. And he's right. And certainly there are guys out there that fall through the cracks all the time that end up at some of these smaller schools. Uh, they end up at, you know, your, your, your Montana States or your Wyomings or what have you. And then they end up in the NFL draft. And everybody's like, you know, they forget that those kids are West Coast kids that, you know, USC should have been recruiting. Washington should have been recruiting. And there's a lot of those type of guys when you talk about the bigger players um, that you just got to get in your program and you got to develop. So there's definitely some names out there. Uh, I think more so on the offensive line in the next cycle. Uh, I think that uh, you're going to have some pretty good offensive linemen. Brandon uh, Baker was another kid at Modern Day that we saw yesterday that just got a scholarship offer from Oregon. I think he'll definitely be on USC's radar, probably ends up getting uh, a scholarship offer from USC at some point down the line. So there are going to be some guys, I think, in the 2024 class locally that USC can recruit. It's going to be probably a little better class, at least initially at the top end than the 2023 class in Southern California. I feel like when you were talking about the California offensive linemen and kind of their bodies and projecting them, you kind of answered Trojan Raul's question, which is why is why is it that California seems under underrepresented in the top 100 in terms of line talent? Is it just a recency bias or we just don't have those body types in Cali? I kind of feel like you you answered that. Yeah, it's not body types necessarily. Um, there are some big bodies. I just think it's when you come to the finished product, those guys back east are just ready-made. Mm-hmm. And I always make the analogy, and it's not offensive linemen, but it's it's a good analogy in terms of just physical peak and where players come out of high school and where they have to bulk up and develop in the comparison between East Coast and West Coast. And it's Brian Cushing versus Clay Matthews Jr. Brian Cushing comes out of Orndale, New Jersey, uh, Bergen Catholic High School, and he's ready to step on the field right away. And he did. And he hurt his shoulder, and he was still starting as a true freshman. Uh, lost a bunch of weight, but he was a guy that came out and he looked like a million dollars right out of high school. Clay Matthews Jr. came out of a uh, girl Hills as a walk-on, a 6'3", 200-pound walk-on that didn't have a bunch of scholarship offers. But look at where those guys ended up, and when they left USC, where they ended up. <laughs> Clay Matthews ended up getting drafted ahead of Brian Cushing because he got the development. He mm-hmm. got Now, he had bloodlines. I understand that he's maybe a little bit of an exception to the rule from that standpoint. But still, he came in at 6'3", 200 pounds uh, a year before Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews came in at you know, 6'3", 225 pounds, 230 pounds. And so you, you, the West Coast guys can get there. They can get there with the right player development, nutrition, so on and so forth, but you got to put that investment there. And I think that's what USC is doing. And, and again, to the point initially where we talked about the junior day and the organization of it and the manpower just to host all these players, that's an investment. You know, you're putting people in front of people that matter, and that's just you know sort of that first step. Once you get them in the program, you kind of have to do the same thing with nutrition, weight room, uh, that sort of auxiliary staff outside of the assistant coaching staff. Because you have a whole offseason that the full-time coaching staff doesn't get to spend 
a lot of time with those players. And it was Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and all these schools that started to figure out, we need to put people on our auxiliary coaching, off-season coaching staff that are going to be in front of these players in meeting rooms and stuff and can still coach them. That, that have experience. And that's where you start to see guys like Kevin Steele and Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin and Taj Lapoy and all these dudes end up on the support staff for Alabama. Guys getting paid $400,000, $500,000 a year to be a defensive analyst. So, you know, that's sort of where USC is taking that next step and getting guys that are on a support staff that are also good coaches that can get on there and can help these guys during that long offseason before they actually get on the field with the full-time coaching staff. Jordan, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to knock out these next few quick ones on my own. Updates on uh, Brandon Peely and Jake Smith's health. Brandon Peely is obviously coming off the Achilles tear, Jake Smith off the foot surgery. As far as I know, I'm trying to get more on this, but I feel like Peely is tentatively ready to be ready for spring camp. Um, he's, he's been seen in some of the workout videos, lifting and stuff, so I'm assuming he's good to go in that regard. Maybe they'll limit him a little bit. Uh, Jake Smith, I was talking to someone over the weekend about it, it seemed like he was, you know, good to go. I still want to get a little bit more on that because I had someone sort of not answer that question when I asked it straight up. So as far as I can, as I know right now, I feel like both of those guys uh, will be good to go. Uh, I had another one here about Brew McCoy. These aren't recruiting questions, but I'm, I'm giving you a favor and asking. Someone asked, what's the latest with Brew McCoy? Is reported that he was having a meeting with Lincoln Riley. I reported that in, in the war room. Um I haven't heard anything. I haven't been hit up about that as well. I, I will do more to try to get a little bit more better update on that. But I do not uh, know if that that meeting has happened yet. I was told it was supposed to happen relatively soon when I reported that. So I'll check back in with that. Um, the next one is Charmack. Inter- what were we going to say? I was going inter- to interject with uh, Jake Smith and Peely, just the thing that I think is going to be interesting, whether – we're able to cover spring ball like we have in the past or not. We're still kind of waiting to see how that shakes out in terms of our media access. However, I think that's going to maybe signal how important this coaching staff takes spring ball because we've seen spring ball be, I mean, calling it an, expo- an expedition, expedition, an exp. You got ex- it. Why am I? All, now, now I'm going to blink on the word exposition. No, that's not the word that I'm looking for. Exhibition. Ex- exhibition oh man you know how you just like say the wrong word and then you can't say the right word after do that all the time (laughs) an exhibition uh was probably an overstatement you know some of those spring ball practices were just like man like are you guys out what are you doing (laughs) you're just (laughs) out here seems like you're kind of just going through the motions you know you're not using these practice periods as real preparation or serious or competitive periods at all it's going to be interesting to see if those guys play. Cause I think if those guys play and they play actual minutes and we hear about that, then it shows you this staff is very serious about evaluation and they want to know what they have on the field, which I, I would think that's what you want. I know there's always that risk of injury and re-injury. Clay Helton was way over the top conservative about that. It was basically, I don't want any of my starters to ever get hurt because I know if they start to get hurt, we're going to start to lose games. And he was not confident enough in their coaching ability. Uh, to, to be able to have the second string and third string guys win games for them. That, that's basically what you're saying when you say that. And so it'll be interesting to see if they just say, hey, you know what? We know there's a risk there, but we got to have way more competitive periods. We have to have way more scrimmaging. We need to see these guys on the field. Or they say, you know what? We're going to be conservative and we're going to just let Brandon Peely, you know, take his time. We're not going to rush anybody back. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see 
in terms of playing time and contribution, what happens with some of those guys uh, as we get into spring ball. Sharmack asks, are you guys close to putting a crystal ball on Mateo for USC? I'll, I'll be honest, I have thought about it. I have looked at it, and it's been tempting to kind of be like, you know what, maybe I should throw in a low a low prediction one, maybe like a little four or five, you know, nothing nothing too heavy, but just 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 a little something. I don't know how you feel about that, Gerard, but I have been close to just kind of throwing yeah, it in there. Yeah, I'm kind of off the crystal ball thing just because it, it, Fair it enough. A, is not working for me from a technical standpoint. It's been an uphill battle ever since we came from Scout that sometimes my predictions take, sometimes they don't take, sometimes I get dinged on a prediction that I made and then the kid decommits and then I'm no longer, and we've both been burned by this, where it's like, okay, uh, we, we don't care about that recruitment anymore. We're not covering it. It's like that kid decommitted from USC or decommitted from another school and initially USC was, was in it and you make the right choice and then you know he ends up going somewhere else later down the line when right. you're not covering his recruitment. It's like, I okay, whatever. I mean, I can't, I, at that point you're just, going along with the flow and going, oh, hey, these writers have made this prediction. I have absolutely no sources on this. I have no idea about the kids' recruitment. I'm just going to go along with the flow. That that totally destroys the, the spirit of making those predictions. I mean, to me, it becomes just a gimmick at that point. You're making predictions because you're trying to give some insight as to where you think this player is going to end up genuinely because you have sources and information on that particular player's recruitment. So, yeah, that that there's some stuff that needs to get sorted out with crystal balls. I'm kind of just after this past cycle, just sort of like I'm a little over crystal balls. And that's not to mention the flack that we get from our sources when it comes to them making a decision and us going out and making crystal ball. There's been plenty of times where it's like, yeah, I'm going to let you know what's going on, but you can't make any crystal balls or we know what's going on and we can't make any crystal balls because they're asking us not to put it out because, you know, when you make a crystal ball and you've got a very high, you know, percentage of being right, basically saying this is where this kid is going. You know what I mean? Unless you make them like super, super early. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a lose lose situation, quite frankly, for us as, as, as experts, but I understand it from a business standpoint, I understand from the standpoint of getting, the fans riled up and, and excited about things. I honestly just like to tell you how it is on the peristyle and give you not just a prediction, but get you some explanation as to what we're hearing and why we're hearing it. And it's a little more low key that way. It's not on the front page and not everybody shares it. Of course, nowadays everybody can never be on everybody else's team board. So that is a little bit, you know, can't be quite as low key under the radar about it as uh, sometimes I like to be. I'm making an executive producer decision. We're only going to do 10 more minutes worth of more questions because we have still a, a good chunk here. But if we keep going, if we keep going, it's going to be a three hour podcast. So I'm going to cut it off at uh, an hour and 30 and then we're going to wrap this up. So we're trying to get through as many as we can in the next 10 minutes here. Um, let's see. Going to pick a recruiting one. What my guy Gay Call asked, what month in 2022 do you expect to have the most commitments? I mean, hmm. I feel like December is the big brain one because that's the signing period. Uh, but I would I would guess maybe like a June, like a summer month. Yeah, it'd be June or it'd be December would probably be it. You could see something in September. I mean, if the coaching staff really pushes to make it, you know, we're going to make this, you know, the month. Um, but that would be, yeah, the safe bet would be December 
uh, or June after a bunch of the official visits over the summer and they want to get, you know, a good group of, you know, maybe 10 guys, eight to 10 guys. Usually if you feel good and you're going to be able to close, uh, and this is usually when you're going in a new year where you feel confident about, you know, playing in some big games at the end of the year. If you're Alabama or what have you, you want, you know, like eight guys that are committed and then you want the rest of your class to sign or be committed like during the year official visits and then going into December where you get that momentum and you sort of get the ball rolling and it becomes uh, a bit of a snowball and you go into the early signing period with a lot of momentum and you're able to close the deal. Um, I don't know, you know, how confident the, the coaching staff is going to be. They seem like they're very confident that they're going to do some big things. I mean, Lincoln Riley said even publicly addressing that very question that he expects to win now. He, he didn't say it's a building process, there's a transition, so on and so forth. He, he didn't give himself many outs in terms of the expectation. He's like, we want to win now, and I think we can win now. I think we have you know, a roster that can win now. Now, granted, the turnaround of the roster has been pretty significant, and they're bringing in a bunch of transfers, so that existing roster is no longer the roster they're going to have when they're going in August. But nevertheless, I think that there's some confidence that um, with the schedule they have and the Pac-12 conference, which we know is, is beleaguered, um, that they can dominate pretty early on with the majority of their games. Whether it happens that way or not, we'll see. But that could obviously impact how many commits they want to have uh, going into the season as opposed to uh, at the end of the year. King of L.A., what kind of approach do you guys think the new staff is taking as it pertains to local players versus national guys? Is there a chance that local guys feel slow played and it's problematic long term? I don't think I've ever gotten the sense that local guys are being slow played. I mean, Riley himself in his opening press conference and then multiple times after has mentioned how important it is to lock down their backyard of the West Coast and obviously California. I feel like if there's a big time prospect right in their backyard in California or Nevada or Arizona, I think they're going to go after him. Obviously, they have to like them and like their game. But I think if they're they're on him, they're going to make them a priority. And yeah, I mean, I just don't think it's sort of like a let's go more national than California. If the guys that they they want and they need are in their backyard, I think they're going to go after those guys. Yeah, I think right now the they feel good about a lot of the top players locally. So the guys that they're really recruiting aren't being slow played locally that they really want. It becomes more of a question when you start to maybe miss out on a few of those guys. And then it's like, okay, the second tier guys that you may have offered scholarships, but you haven't really recruited hard. Can you then come back and pivot and recruit those guys? Trey Edwards is a good example of a kid that USC, the previous staff offered a scholarship to and recruited pretty hard, but this staff has not been as communicative with him and they, I think he feels like UCLA and other schools are recruiting him harder. Does he feel slow played? Probably not slow played yet. I don't think we're at that point in a year yet where you're going to feel slow played. That probably happens a little more um, as kids start taking official visits and they really start to get loved up by other schools, you know, and you get into September, then that starts to become more of a question. Um, but I think, you know, some of those guys, uh, that could potentially be a little bit of an issue. You know, a guy that we really like, um, out of, uh, the, the Under Armour camp, uh, that, that's a guy that doesn't have a scholarship offer. That's a, 
a local player that potentially could end up being in that category of a quote unquote slow played player is Jamari Johnson from Inglewood, you know, mm-hmm. three star tight end, a guy that's being recruited really hard by Arizona and some of the Pac-12 schools. Now, he didn't, he didn't have a bunch of scholarship offers, um, but he's a guy that's locally that USC's kind of like, man, they're not really talking to him a whole bunch. And those are the kind of guys that, you know, maybe you don't get Deuce Robinson. You know, maybe uh, you're not able to get, um, you know, some of the bigger tight end pl- uh, prospects that USC's recruiting uh, nationally. Um then, you know, can you come back to one of those guys and be able to still uh, be able to get them? That remains to be seen. But I, I don't think we're at that point yet locally, but it definitely comes, you know, as you get past those summer visits and then you see some of those guys committing to other schools and, you know, maybe there's a read that was off. That's when you have to pivot and go and say, all right, we need to find somebody locally that might be able to fill that position. Or you end up going to, you know, East Texas and rationalizing that the East Texas players are just as good as California four stars, et cetera, so on and so forth. This will be our last question, and it's directed at you, Gerard, like most of them. Uh, this comes from Again, PZ. I feel threatened. I know. No, you should not feel threatened. Uh, this comes from PZ. I know the results haven't happened yet, but I'd love to hear GM talk about his staff. This staff's recruiting versus Pete's as far as organization and philosophy standpoint. We haven't seen, I think, enough of this staff to really compare with Pete, and it's a different era of football. I mean, two huge things that, and I've talked to everybody, and and it's just funny because everybody has the same thought on it right now is that recruiting is sort of the wild, wild west right now because you have NIL, which is a major thing that's happening and it's evolving right before our eyes, and you have the transfer portal, which is another thing that, we've seen just blow up over the past year and will continue to be a big issue in college football. Both of those things I think are going to need to be addressed within the next couple of years by the NCAA or whatever organization takes the place of the NCAA in the near future. Um, Pete Carroll didn't have that, you know, it was, it was a little more standard straightforward recruiting in terms of uh, their approach, but you know, in terms of strategy, it's been uh, similar in some ways in terms of uh, they're definitely more about territory and getting guys out that have connections in areas, which I, I'm a proponent of. I think you got to recruit initially by territory and get your guys out there that, you know, if you're Sean Nua and you've got great connections in the poly community, you want to get him in the poly community. You don't say, well, you know, our defensive line coach or our offensive line coach or whatever is the guy that recruits that position. And so you just send him out there blindly into Utah because, you know, he's, he's recruiting that position and that's an offensive lineman that's from Utah. You know, you, if Sean Nua has some connections or whatever, you want to get him on the ground, feel it out. This guy really legit, you know, he's going to know other coaches in that area that can give you evaluations that may see more of that player in person and can give you uh, some evaluations that you can trust. So I think from that standpoint, they're doing that. And that was what Pete Carroll did. It's a completely different staff in terms of, the support staff and how big that is nowadays in, in football, you know, that wasn't a thing when Pete Carroll was, uh, was coaching at USC. The support staff was really administrative more than anything. And it wasn't like you have this whole other coaching staff and then you have the whole other strength and conditioning staff. And then you've got a recruiting staff that is organizing and recruiting and, and, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's for you to get these kids on campus. A lot of times that recruiting staff those are the guys that are on social media. Those are the guys 
that actually break the ice with the recruits to get them on campus in front of the position coaches. So it's a different era. It's really apples and oranges trying to compare the two staffs, but at least from the standpoint of, you know, full-time assistant versus full-time assistant. Um, it's similar. They're enthusiastic. It seems like Lincoln Riley wants to be involved in the recruiting process a lot. Pete Carroll was very involved in the recruiting process a lot. But to really know, we got to see them on more official visits, and then we got to see them go through the season and see how they take the recruiting process during the season. Are they going to actually have guys that come on campus for games, or are they going to push it towards the end of the year like USC used to do with Pete Carroll and really just bring them in? for the you know the, the the last couple of of home games it's different again because you do have the early signing period now and Pete Carroll didn't have that Pete Carroll was opposed to that they wanted to have those kids coming in January and obviously Los Angeles in January is a lot different than Ohio or Texas or any of these other states in January in terms of weather and what you can do and how you can host and entertain kids so yeah from that standpoint there's a lot of differences just in the recruiting process and with that detailed explanation, we're going to stop the Q&A process because we still have a lot more. And if we kept going, this would be like another hour at least. Um, That's code for you're, you're, These are not rapid fire answers. These are not right, rapid fire right. answers. I, I I probably bet on you a little too much to try to do that. But You, you threaten me. You threaten me. <laughs> I mean, that's, you just, you just you know, pull in the tiger's tail when you do that. You, you don't respond kindly to threats. uh that it will be noted for the next time. Um, if I didn't get to your question, I'm sorry. I will keep them in here, and we will we will get to them next uh, next time we do the composite two star recruits. Um, and then the last segment is what I'm just calling the question. And I'm just going to throw out a random question, non USC related question that I just want Gerard to answer. And oh. he's he's typically not going to really know what it is uh, because I like to end things on a non USC question because you know. We're humans. We have thoughts and opinions and feelings and crazy stories about, you know, not USC. And that's why I put it at the end, because you probably listen to this podcast to hear Gerard share his endless knowledge about recruiting and USC recruiting. So that's why it's at the end. You can shut it off right now. But Gerard, for the inaugural The Question for our podcast, uh, can you tell me what is the worst purchase you've ever made? No. (laughs) What? Uh, yeah, um, see, you know, the composite recruiting podcast, it had hope, but ending it like this, I think we might be canceled. Um, the worst purchase I've ever made, I, dude, I don't, oh, actually I could tell you one of the worst purchases I ever made. I bought my mom and dad tickets to go to Scotland via England one Christmas and I like made this big thing and I put the tickets in like a special little case and all this stuff and my mom is like I do not want to (laughs) fly she's just not a big flyer and it's not great trying to refund trips and hotels and you know like it was a whole all expenses paid type thing that I set up and um yeah, you know, I talked to Counts, though, and she was, I mean, she was very happy, and she was, you know, like, kind of crying, like, oh, my gosh, I'm serious, this is amazing, but, <laughs> you know, a few days later, it's like, ah, but I don't think we're going to do that, so <laughs> thanks, but no thanks, that, that, I mean, that comes to mind as one of probably my worst purchases. It wasn't something I bought for me, but I, I think I mean, I didn't general, say it had to be for you, I just said worst person in general, yeah. so... 
in general, I've learned the lesson from that, that you don't want to buy things for people as gifts that they have to like incorporate their own time and energy and effort in to a certain extent, like certain things you're like, Hey, you know, you buy somebody something and, and they have to put it together. I bought Ryan the gaming chair that you're probably sitting in right now. And, you know, he, he kind of gave me a little slack because it took him like an hour and a half to put it together. But Hey man, it's a nice gaming chair. Like it's a nice chair. So I'm enjoying it. So yeah. I think that would be a good purchase. It would have been nicer if I would have like paid for somebody to come in and like put it together for him, but it just didn't work out that way. So like, there's a little bit of that that goes into buying a gift. It's like buying somebody a car and like, here's the payments too. And you're like, what? Wait, what? I mean, that's great that you brought me a car and the initial down payment, but shoot, I can't pay for this monthly. So that kind of thing with gifts, if there's a lesson to be learned is you have to think about that. Like, okay, now you got to get on a plane and you've got to sort this out in your, in your, your schedules. You got to take the time off. You got to, you got to do all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm passport updated. Exactly. There's a little bit that goes into it. And she's just not a fan of flying, first and foremost. I knew that, but I thought that, you know... I mean, you thought, you thought the, the, the niceness of the gift and the heart of the gift would have her overcome yeah, her like, disdain hey, for flying. You know, you don't have to book anything. Like, you literally just pack your bags and get on the plane and you're ready to go. And But again, I'm sort of setting up, here's what you're going to do. And that's... I can see that not being something that people would necessarily want. Like, here's your gift and this is, you know planned out for you this is what you're going to be doing so that was a, that's something that that comes to mind is, is a, uh, not it wasn't the greatest gift in the world look he he started off uh poo-pooing the question and then he ended up giving a, a great story about it as always gerard thank you for being able to just talk off the cuff about nothing and everything at the same time <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, so you don't have to answer this question no i am not i am not under the scope in this this sense it always goes to you I feel like I should be asking you a question like that. Like I'm going to have to think like if, if we get a chance to do another podcast and Ryan doesn't listen to this, we'll, I'll have a question and I'll throw at you that will be out of like left field. I, it's only fair. So do you want to like rotate the question? Oh, we could do that. Yeah, that would be easier for me. And then this week I don't have to answer like a crazy question. Okay, well then next week it is on you. And I and I already don't like that you were already like if we do this again. Like it's <laughs> he's already canceling oh, oh, it after one episode. Yeah, I, it just depends. You know, if Ryan doesn't listen to it, and you know, sometimes he's got things to do, and uh, you know, might get under the radar. But uh, if he decides to listen to this, he might go, "You guys, this is not good, and uh, I don't want you doing it anymore." It's just, but there's potential. I'm just just letting you know. Fair warning. Well, it doesn't really matter if Ryan doesn't like it. It's what the fans like. If the P likes it and Twitter likes it, then I think we got to keep doing it. So this is the first one. I hope it went It went a little long, but I was expected to go long anyway. And I think people would... It should go long. Yeah. It should, it should be long. There's, 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 no, there's, there's, there's no time restraints here. I'm here. I'm talking. You're talking. We've got batteries left in our phone. You know, what? Shotgun shaking his head over there. As a man who talks more... Second to Gerard on the talking power rankings. I don't know why you're shaking your head over there. But thank you to Shaka B, my ghost producer, helping me get this thing going for my first time working the board. It was a little nerve-wracking. Thank you to Gerard for calling in. Hopefully we can get this thing going. Um, but yeah, that's it. Anything you wanna you wanna drop or add before we uh wrap up this debut episode? Nope. Unlike shotgun, I'm just gonna say thanks for listening. And we'll maybe, maybe see you next week. Maybe.
we will see you. I don't know if it's next week, but we'll see you again. We'll be back. The composite will be back. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 